Acts 17, Part 1, from the sermon series, Acts the Holy Spirit, spoken by Pastor Peter on. Have you guys ever met anyone who was just really passionate about something? Don't they like kind of infect you with their passion in a way? And sometimes because they're so passionate about it, you may not have been passionate about it in the past, but because of their passion, they just kind of infect you in a way where you start to become passionate about it, right? Now, David Hosang is very passionate about Jesus Christ. He's definitely, that passion is felt through our entire staff. But the other thing he's really passionate about, if you don't know this, is coffee. <laughs> the man is passionate, not about any coffee, highest premium kind of coffee. He regularly brews pots of coffee of Blue Mountain, uh, coffee in the office on Tuesdays, and it's brewing. You can only imagine the smell in the room. It's just outrageously good. And he, bo- he cooks those things up, and he pours it for every staff member. And I, I don't drink coffee. I don't. And, uh, but, you know, him being a part of our staff for several years, smelling those smells every Tuesday, his passion for it. I mean, the guy is just so passionate about coffee. And so there are times where I dream about drinking it. And, uh, and last year, early last year, I made the decision to start drinking coffee. Now, I can't drink caffeine because uh, I usually get really bad headaches. And so I just can't. I've tried in the past. It just never worked out. But I said, you know what? Maybe if I keep drinking it every day, my body will build sort of a, uh, sort of a tolerance for it, and I'll be okay. So I started drinking decaf in the beginning to kind of get myself ready for this. And then I started drinking the real stuff. And for... And and for eight months, I was drinking coffee every single day. And my highlight was Tuesdays. Going into the office, David drinking, bringing the coffee, serving everyone. His passion for coffee impacted me so much. Well, I began to drink coffee, and I drank it for eight months. But then I had to stop because the headaches got too bad. And I had to stop, and I don't drink it anymore. But his passion impacted me. Do you know that God has made all of you so passionate we are passionate about something. If it's not God, you're definitely passionate about something. Some of us are really passionate about sports. You're passionate about certain sports teams, like the New York Yankees or like the New York Mets, right? And, and so you're passionate about certain sports teams, and, and that passion, you see it on social media. Some of you are passionate about the series Game of Thrones, and you're so upset at how it ended, and, and you've, you passionately have shared sort of your, your, your disappointment with the producers and how they ended the series. And I don't know if it's over yet, but, uh, but any of it, but, you, but I've seen all over social media. I don't watch Game of Thrones, but I know for some of you, it really, really impacted you. Some of you are passionate about video games, and you watch video, you play the video games for hours and hours a day. You're passionate about playing really well. Some of you are passionate about your kids, and you have every right to be passionate about them. Some of you are passionate about your family. You're passionate about other things. We are passionate people. Every single one of you in this room, there's something that you are passionate about. Why did God make us so passionate as people? So that we can learn to be passionate for him. That really is the reason why we have this passion. And you know, as I travel around the world, as I get to meet different Christians, and I get to meet you sometimes in my office, and we get to connect and do life, I find that the, one of the greatest struggles as Christians is to actually be passionate about Jesus. That, uh, and, and that somehow we think that it just kind of should happen naturally. It actually doesn't. Passion for Jesus needs to be cultivated. You're not born with it. It needs to be cultivated within you. And so today what I want to do is I want to take us through a journey in Acts chapter 17. 
And as we look at the first 15 verses, we're going to learn from Paul, from Silas, some of the other characters, how we can begin to cultivate passion. Because if we can't cultivate passion in our relationship with Jesus, I don't know if it's worth pursuing. Really, I don't. And for some of us, the passion has died out because we pursue God because we need certain things in our lives. And I'm not saying that's necessarily a bad thing, but you have needs in your life. You need God to kind of come through in your life. And those are important needs that you have. But uh, when God becomes a means to an end, Metro, we lose passion for him. God is never to be a means to an end. God is an end in and of itself. Amen? Amen. He's an end in and of itself. And sometimes we make him to be sort of a, a means to an end that we pursue him so we can get something else. And when God's sort of in the middle, it's not something that you and I will ever grow in passion for. We just kind of see him as like a genie. We rub the bottle and we get a few things sometimes. And that's kind of how we pursue God. That is not what our faith is all about. Some of us, we pursue God out of a sense of this obligation for him that we're obligated to. You grew up in Christianity, you've been to church, and, and you know this thing, it's like automatic. You get up on Sunday, you know you're coming to church, you pray, you read some Bible once in a while, and as you do that, you kind of get into a place where you get into this rhythm, and you do this sort of out of a sense of obligation. You're committed to him, but there's no passion. There's no passion, and sometimes when there is no passion, when you are committed to something, it feels kind of like you're in prison. And sometimes you reduce your faith and you feel like it's just about a set of do's and don'ts. And sometimes, even worse, sometimes Christians believe that God is just is a party pooper. He doesn't want you to have any fun. And what you don't realize is that God wants you to have the greatest fun. He wants you to experience the joy that surpasses all understanding. But it can't happen unless you're willing to have passion. 2,000 years ago on the day of Pentecost, we, we celebrate that today. Today, if you look at the Christian calendar, is the day of Pentecost God came upon these men in such a way where their passion for Jesus never died down. And today, as we look at Acts chapter 17, as we see the result of what happened then, we're going to learn how we can become passionate for Jesus Christ. And so if you have your Bibles, please turn with me to Acts chapter 17. We're going to look at the first 15 verses, Acts 17, verses 1 through 15. When Paul and his companions had passed through Amphipolis and Apollonia, they came to Thessalonica where there was a Jewish synagogue. As was his custom, Paul went to the synagogue and on three Sabbath days he reasoned with them from the scriptures, explaining and proving that the Messiah had to suffer and rise from the dead. This Jesus I am proclaiming to you is the Messiah, he said. Some of the Jews were persuaded and joined Paul and Silas, as did a large number of God-fearing Greeks and quite a few prominent women. Again, again, you see women being highlighted in the book of Acts. But other Jews were jealous, so they rounded up some bad characters from the marketplace, formed the mob, and started a riot in the city. They rushed to Jason's house in search of Paul and Silas in order to bring them out to the crowd. But when they did not find them, they dragged Jason and some other believers before the city officials, shouting, these men who have caused trouble all over the world have now come here, and Jason has welcomed them into his house. They are all defying Caesar's decree, saying that there is another king, one called Jesus. When they heard this, the crowd and the city officials were thrown into turmoil. Then they made Jason and the others post bond and let them go. As soon as it was night, the believers sent Paul and Silas away to Berea. 
On arriving there, they went to the Jewish synagogue. Again, that's a typical strategy for Paul. Every city he goes to, he goes into the synagogue. Now the Berean Jews were of more noble character, underline those two words, noble character, than those in Thessalonica. For they received the message with great eagerness and examined the scriptures every day to see if what Paul said was true. As a result, many of them believed, as did also a number of prominent Greek women and many Greek men. But when the Jews in Thessalonica learned that Paul was preaching the word of God at Berea, some of them went there too agitating the crowds and stirring them up. The believers immediately sent Paul to the coast, but Silas and Timothy stayed at Berea. Those who escorted Paul brought him to Athens and then left with instructions for Silas and Timothy to join him as soon as possible. This is the word of God. Would you just bow your heads with me and let's enter into a time of prayer. And I'm going to ask you right now, if you just can, could you ask God to just speak to you through this passage in this sermon today? And then I'm going to pray for us. God, I thank you that you've made us passionate people. I thank you that that passion, should re- that passion should really be centered on you. Would you teach us how we can do that today as we look at this passage? I pray that the words that come out of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts in this room, God, I pray it would indeed be pleasing unto you. And all of God's people said, amen. amen. All right, and so let's get to this. How do we cultivate passion for Jesus Christ? How do you and I cultivate passion for Jesus Christ? First, it's to become ravenously hungry for God to become ravenously hungry for God. The word ravenously came from Dr. David Hosang, and, uh, and it gives a real good picture here. Look at verse 10 just one more time. Look at verse 10. As soon as it was night, the believers sent Paul and Silas away to Berea. On arriving there, they went to the Jewish synagogue. Now the Berean Jews were of more noble character than those in Thessalonica, for they received the message with great eagerness and examined the scriptures every day to see if what Paul said was true. As a result, many of them believed, as did a number of prominent Greek women and many Greek men. What does the word noble mean? When you look at it in your dictionary, and in my dictionary, it simply means to belong to a hereditary class with a high social or political status. An aristocrat. You know that, what, that's the word. Uh, that's what noble usually means. And the Bereans were of noble class. Many of them were of high standing. The, the Jew, Berean Jewish people were from a high Jewish heritage. But that's not what the author of Acts was trying to get at when he said that they were of noble character. What does the word noble mean here? It means somebody with a strong conviction. Really, somebody who has a ravenous hunger for God. That's what it means. It, the, the best picture is a little infant baby. Parents in the nursery, hello? You know your kid, when your baby gets hungry and they get really hungry, do they just kind of squeal a little bit? Do they give you a little hint? Do you have to guess if they're hungry or not? Like, I wonder if they're hungry or not. When your kid is hungry, oftentimes they will belt out in crying. They will cry so loud sometimes that they'll end up throwing up, right? They will, they will go crazy because they're so hungry. They are ravenously hungry for the milk of their mother. And they're only satisfied when they get it. And so these Berean Jews, these men, these women, it says that they were of noble character. And so what that means is that they were hungry for God. They were hungry for God, but how did they satisfy that hunger? This is the key thing. A lot of us, were losing passion for God because we're not satisfying the hunger in a proper way, right? How do we do it in a proper way so that it warrants us to grow in passion? You know how it's done? It's when we hear from God through the word of God. 
That's how we grow in our passion for him. How do you satisfy your ravenous hunger for God today? It's when you hear from him through the Bible. You see, it's not about reading the Bible. It's about actually hearing God's voice through the Bible. That's the key thing here. You see, these Berean Jews, what happened was that as they heard from Paul, they didn't just hear from him and say, well, that must be true. No. What did they do? They searched the Bible for the truth. And they compared it to what Paul was saying. And when they confirmed it through the Bible, they believed that it was true and they gave their lives to the person of Jesus Christ. That is key here. That is key, that they were willing to do that. You see, they didn't just do that. And for a lot of us, I think, if truth be told, we're living off the spiritualities of other people. We are. You have a secondhand spiritual faith. You're depending upon a pastor maybe to to speak a sermon, to minister unto you. And that's not a bad thing necessarily, but it's not. You're depending on somebody else's spirituality so that you can grow in your relationship with God. What God would love for you to do is that you would begin to hear from him as you read the Bible. When you hear from God through the scripture, it will do something different because it's no longer secondhand. It's coming from God himself. And God will begin to speak to you through the passages of of Scripture, being able to speak to you in ways where you will begin to grow and learn more about him, but you're growing greater passion for him. I know this is hard because I know we live in a day and age today where quite possibly very few of us actually open up the Bible. And I think... uh, We've believed in the reality probably that it doesn't do much. Maybe you've taken some time to read it in the past and you haven't really got much. I totally get it. How do you hear from God through the Bible? That's an important question, right? How do you hear from God from the Bible? Uh, Let's just look at 2 Timothy verse 3, verses 14 to 17. 2 Timothy verse 3, verses 14 to 17. It says, but as for you, Continue in what you have learned and have become convinced of because you know those from whom you learned it and how from infancy you have known the holy scriptures which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. The Bible is God-breathed. And so when you and I read it, God has the capacity to speak to us every time that we read it. Now, how does that happen? Listen, if you read the Bible and God speaks to you regularly, don't follow my advice. You, you, found, it, you found the way, discover it. Just keep going the way you've been going, okay? Let God speak to you the way he speaks to you. But if you're struggling to hear from God when you read the Bible, this is the best advice I can give to you. Don't read too much of the Bible, all right, back my wife and I, almost every other year for like 10 years, we always read the one-year Bible together, all right? She would read, we would share sometimes the same Bible. I would read in the morning, she'd read it at night. We did it like several times over, and I just realized at that point, it's just too much Bible. Five, six chapters a day is a lot to read. So my, my advice to you is that when you read the Bible, every Bible has headings, right, in a chapter. One chapter will have maybe three to five, some maybe even six headings, read one heading at a time. And that's probably sometimes between five to 10 verses. And just read it over and over and over and over again. And when you start to sense there's like a verse that's really speaking to you, stop, stop reading further. Just keep reading that verse over and over and over and over again and just ask God, say, God, what am I learning about you in this passage? And what are you trying to tell me? 
based upon what I'm learning in this passage. You just keep asking those questions. Go through it. Spend time. Too many times we think reading the Bible is like reading a book. It's different than that. You got to read it multiple times, multiple times, over and over and over. And as God begins to speak to you, start writing that down. Journal it. I guarantee when God starts to speak to you through the word, it changes you and you get to hear from God and you get to grow in your relationship with God. And there's such and something so beautiful that comes through it. These Berean Jews were passionate. They were passionate because they were passionate about God's word. And when you and I can become passionate about God's word, he will begin to speak to us in such a way that will allow us to grow deeper in our understanding of who he is. And he'll give us sort of this opportunity for us to see things about ourselves that we've never seen. And he'll guide us in every step of the way. Amen? I'm sure for some of you in this room, you know what I'm talking about. For a lot of you, it might be difficult. So could I just encourage you to start small. Open up the Gospel of John and just take a passage at a time, eight to ten verses, a heading at a time, and just start to read it over and over again and see what God does. Journal. Let him speak to you. There's so much he'd like to say to you through the scriptures. It will really impact your life. So that's the first thing. And the second and last thing in how we cultivate passion for Jesus Christ is when we live in the truth of what we believe. When we live in the truth of what we believe. It's so hard to live in the truth of what we believe. Look at verse 1. When Paul and his companions had passed through Amphipolis and Apollonia, they came through Thessalonica where there was a Jewish synagogue. As was his custom, Paul went into the synagogue and on three Sabbath days, he reasoned with them from the scriptures, explaining and proving that the Messiah had to suffer and rise from the dead. This Jesus I am proclaiming to you is the Messiah, he said. Some of the Jews were persuaded and joined Paul and Silas as did a large number of God-fearing Greeks and quite a few prominent women. But other Jews were jealous, so they rounded up some bad characters from the marketplace, formed a mob, and started a riot in the city. They rushed to Jason's house in search of Paul and Silas in order to bring them out to the crowd. But when they did not find them, they dragged Jason and some other believers before the city officials, shouting, These men who have caused trouble all over the world have now come here, and Jason has welcomed them into his house. They are all defying Caesar's decrees, saying that there is another king, one called Jesus. When they heard this, the crowd and the city officials were thrown into turmoil. Then they had made Jason and the others post bond and let them go. Do you see what's happening here? Just, I want you to understand in chapter 16, Paul and Silas were in Macedonia. Remember, they were beaten literally to death. They had... They were in jail. They had stocks on their feet. They couldn't even lay down or sit down. They had to be in a weird squatting position in order for them not to be in severe pain. They had wounds. They were probably limping, right? What happened after they finally left Macedonia? You would think that maybe they should go to the hospital, get checked upon, maybe rest a little bit before they go back out. But they go to Thessalonica, and what happens there? They continue to share about Jesus Christ. Really, they have this sense of passion that's just uncanny. And it's just so odd because you find that Paul at one point in, in Acts chapter 9, I mean, he was going out and he was going there to persecute all the Christians. Paul didn't believe in Jesus. And so he was so passionate about persecuting Christians. And now you see him here completely passionate about speaking that Jesus Christ truly is our Lord and Savior. Our Lord and Savior. How did that happen? How does that happen? All right? How can we cultivate that? How can you and I live in the truth of what we believe? For Paul and Silas, they cared more about living in the truth of what they believed 
then healing from their wounds and not living in the truth of what they believe. It's so hard to live in the truth of what we believe. Does anyone here struggle to live in the truth of the things that you believe in? I don't know about you, but I struggle with it all the time. It's so hard to live in the truth of what you believe. I like to believe that my wife is the most important person in my life. I say that here on the pulpit all the time. I try to like, let her know, hey, you're the most important person in my life. I love her. I love her. But it's so hard for me sometimes to live in the truth of that belief. And even this week, I struggled with it. I've been uh, physically tired, more tired this week than I probably have ever been tired in a while. Part of it is that tomorrow, a group of about five of us are going to be riding our bicycles to Boston. And so I'm trying to train for it. Right? Trying to, whoever clapped, thank you very much. Uh, we're trying to raise some money for Zamele, and so as a result of it, I, I got to get, get ready for this, 250 miles. And so I've been working really hard, getting up in the morning, riding more than I should be riding, and i just trying to get, build a tolerance for this stuff. And so in the evenings, I'm just completely exhausted. And this week, um, my daughter sometimes have a, has a very contentious relationship, my wife with my daughter, Christina. They're kind of like water and oil. They just don't mix a lot of times. They don't see eye to eye. And uh, they had a fight. And uh, my wife was hurt by what she said. She didn't, and my wife bit her tongue. She didn't want to explode on her. She just said, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to hold back. But the, in the process of that, she was really hurt. And you could tell she was really sad. Well, she was sitting, we were sitting together, and she was kind of sharing with me what was going on. And I was tired. I was so tired. And she opened her heart out to me. And there was just a part of me I just said, could you just kind of like work on this without talking to me about it? Because I was just so tired. I didn't say that though. I didn't say that. I didn't say that. I didn't say that. I didn't say that. That's what I was kind of feeling. But my next thing that I said to her wasn't very helpful either. I just said to her, I said, hey, I'm really sorry uh, that you had to go through that. Good night. And I went to sleep. I just didn't have the, guys, I didn't have the bandwidth. I was so physically tired. I woke up the next day and I, uh, I prayed. Yes, I did. And God just started convicting me. You know, you pray that you'd hope your wife would open up more. And she does, and yet you don't even give her the time. I say so much, and I believe it in my heart that I love this woman more than anyone in this world, even more than my kids but it's so hard for me to live in the truth of that belief. And so the next day I went to her and I said, hey, guess what, you, I think what you should do, it's like here's just what I would do, you need to treat Christina like a woman. Don't treat her like a little kid, you know, because she's not anymore, she's 17, she's an adult. Talk to her, don't threaten her because she hurts you. You know, don't say like, you're not gonna pay college tuition and you're gonna do this, if you do that again, I was like, just, she's not a kid, she's an adult. I said, just share with her the things that she did to you and how much it hurt you. Treat her like an adult, like a woman, and I think it'll go better. So you gotta find some time. And it just kind of worked very naturally. They went out to the mall together because my daughter had to buy a dress for graduation and my wife had a coupon and none of us else wanted to go. And it was late, it was like 8.30 at night. And so they got in the car and I just said, honey, this will be a good time for you to say something, maybe share. And she did, and she came back, and I said, how did it go? She said, it went good. It went good. It's so hard to live in the truth of what you believe. 
It really is. It's not easy. It's hard enough to do that with somebody that you see all the time. Could you imagine doing that with God? All of us in this room, we say that we believe in Jesus Christ. You say you love him, you believe in him. But isn't it hard to live in the truth of that belief? And it's so difficult. And sometimes we try and we fail and we get discouraged as a result of it. And we kind of just lose passion for it and we just walk away. How can we do this? How can we begin to live in the truth of what we believe? Because if we don't live in the truth of what we believe, we lose passion for that belief. That's the problem. If you don't begin to live in the truth of what you say you believe in, you begin to lose passion for that belief. If I don't begin to live in the truth that I love my wife and I don't live into that, I'm going to lose passion for her. And it's only a matter of time before it goes real bad and it goes south, right? So how do we do this? There's really, really only one thing. And it's for you and I to recognize that we can't do this with our own strength. We cannot. The only way we can do this, take notes here if you are, you need to pray and ask God to fill you with the Holy Spirit. That's it. You see, today is Pentecost. And 2,000 years ago, these disciples were in a room. The Holy Spirit fell upon these guys, and it changed their lives forever. They were filled with the Holy Spirit. All of you have received the Holy Spirit. When you said yes to Jesus Christ, you you wouldn't have done that unless God came upon you. You received the Holy Spirit, but you need to be filled with the Holy Spirit now. And guess what? Just because you had the Holy Spirit filled at one point in your life, you can run on empty sometimes. And you need to ask God to fill you with the Holy Spirit. And one of the best ways in how God fills you, have people lay hands on you and just let them pray for you and say, would you fill this person with the Holy Spirit? That's what happens in Acts. The apostles are laying hands on people that they would be filled with the Holy Spirit and the people are filled with the Holy Spirit. You see, some of you are kind of get weirded out by this because like, what happens if I get filled with the Holy Spirit? Like, what's going to happen? Am I going to start going crazy? And some of you, like, you have weird pictures of people being filled with the Holy Spirit. And as a result of that, you're saying, well, I don't want any of that. I don't want any of that. I don't want to run around a room and go crazy. Right? I'm not going to go nuts. What does it mean to be filled by the Holy Spirit? Here's what it is. You begin to know who you are. That you are a child of God. You begin to live into that adoption. You begin to, you experience a rebirth of who you are. That's why they say born again Christians. Because you need to be born again. The Holy Spirit will allow you to live into this identity of being a child of God. You will be more confident. And yes, there will be times where God will be able to show you things. Where you can love people more than you've ever loved. Sometimes you'll grow in a deeper understanding of someone's brokenness. So you don't have to judge them and be bitter about the things that they've done to you. But rather you can lean on love and understanding. Rather than always being judgmental and hurtful as a result of it. To know that God loves you so much that he came and died for you on the cross and to not just know that with your mind but with your heart, that 12 inches, I guess it's 12 inches, that journey can only come through the Holy Spirit. If the Holy Spirit doesn't fill you today, you won't have the kind of joy, the kind of life that God would have for you today. This is not about God judging any of you. But this is about God pleading and begging you that if you've never prayed that God would fill you with his Holy Spirit, that today you would receive it from him and receive it in fullness. Otherwise, this Christianity thing, guys, I don't know if it's worth it. And, you know, and and it's easy. It's easy to become sort of a a cultural or like let, let church become like a country club. I get that. But that's not what church is about. 
Church is a place where Jesus Christ is the head where the Holy Spirit comes to its people, fills them so they can go and not only love other people, but love themselves in a healthy way. And I pray that God could use you in supernatural ways as well. If you want to have passion for Jesus, if you want to live in the truth of what you believe, the Holy Spirit has to fill you. That's the only reason why Paul and Silas went to Thessalonica and they were able to do this. They were filled with the Holy Spirit, Metro. I mean, you could just imagine, they were still hurt and, and you realize that Jason probably said, well, these, these Thessalonians are coming back and they're gonna, they might hurt you so you guys better leave and they realize that one more blow, you guys might die. So they hit him, right? And could you just think about poor Jason? He just opened up his house. Now he's in jail, probably beaten. He just offered up his house for hospitality for, for Paul and Silas and now people are coming against him. Could you imagine what he was going through? But he was okay, why? Because he was filled with the Holy Spirit. When you and I have passion for Jesus Christ, when we are filled with the Holy Spirit, suffering can be endured. It really can. And when we are passionate about Jesus, you have to know that there's gonna come a time where you're gonna face people who are passionately against him. It's part of it. And maybe the reason why you're not experiencing anyone coming against you is because maybe you're not very passionate about Jesus. You're safe for people who don't like Jesus. Metro Community Church, on this day of Pentecost, to be passionate, to live in the truth of what you believe, and you don't have to do it perfectly, but to live in the truth of what you believe, you have to be filled with the Holy Spirit. It's the greatest gift, one of the greatest gifts God's given to us, and for so little of us are actually even in a place where we desire it for our own lives. And as a result of it, it's no wonder why we're restless, It's no wonder why we struggle with sleep sometimes. It's no wonder why we can't live our lives truly being happy and anything good that happens in our lives, we're always thinking, well, it's just gonna be a matter of time before something bad happens. There are gifts that God gives to you and you still see it as a curse because you're not filled with the Holy Spirit. And for some of you, you think the curses are the gift and you pursue it like it's a gift and then it's only a matter of time before it destroys your life. If you want to live in the truth of what you believe, Metro Community Church, you need to ask the Holy Spirit to fill you. To fill you today. And his greatest desire today is to do that, but you need to grant him permission to do so. It will change your life. This week I had just such an amazing filling of the Holy Spirit, it was just overwhelming me. Today is a very important day for our church, not just because it's Pentecost, but last, year on this Sunday, um, we launched a Beyond the Building campaign. Do you guys remember that? For those who've been here, uh, we have our newly revised pamphlets that uh, if you were not here last year, we do want to encourage you before you leave to grab one of these. Um, And also these are commitment cards and I'll just share a little bit about that a little bit later. But uh, yeah, if you're not going to be here next week, we're actually going to all recommit. If you've committed, we're going to still give you one of these. We just want you to commit the same thing, all right? Or, Or just kind of be in a place of prayer. But for those who maybe came later, we're gonna give you an opportunity. If you want to, you can commit to this. If you don't, it's fine. 
but we want to give you an opportunity to be a part of what we feel God is leading us. But last year, so we came together at this time exactly one year ago. Our goal was to raise $2.5 million. Remember that? So that it can count as a down payment so that we can build a permanent home here for Metro Community Church, but really for Metro Community Center. It will be the first community center in the history of Englewood. And we don't want to build a church necessarily. Primarily, we want to build this community center that will be in complete synergistic relationship with the church, and we can impact the city here in Englewood. That was sort of the dream. And so we made the pledging, and uh, we were happy to report the following week that we raised about $2.6 million in pledges, in pledges. And when that happened, when we got that news, I was happy We were all happy, but I was also terrified. And you know what I was terrified of? What happens if we don't raise 2.6 million? What happens if people don't give? Because pledging is easy. The big thing is, are we going to actually get the money in, right? So I'm stressed. I'm stressed about that. And I'm happy to report till till today, we have close to about $800,000 in our building fund, which is one third, right? So it's got to be a third every year. So we're, we're on course, but still... Still, there is just sort of a deep sense of fear that I have. I do. It's hard for me to live in the truth of what I feel God is calling us to do as a church sometimes, and I was just struggling, struggling about that. The other thing is that, you know, I don't talk much about this, but, you know, we talked about it at our building fund, but we're going to the city, and we're asking them that we really want Liberty School to be where Metro Community Church and Metro Community Center is going to have its home. I want to encourage you all, the one thing if you can do for me, please, is that before you go home, just drive over to Liberty School. Just Google Liberty School in Englewood. If you can just go there and for five minutes say a quick prayer that God would give us that building and then go eat or go home, whatever you need to do. But can we all just do that? I just, I just covet your prayers. But folks, we've met with every politician in the city. We've met with every spiritual leader in the city. We've met with some of the most prominent, prominent um, uh, uh, 501c3s, nonprofit organizations that are doing great work here in the city. We met with key leaders that aren't politicians, but they're just key figures here in the city. We've sat down with them, we've talked to them, and it's gone really well. It really has. We're grateful for that. We feel like we've had favor. In it. And, and what it needs to boil down to at the end of the day is that we need to get the votes in order for the city to, to, uh, to work with us with this building. And what we're asking the city to do is simply this. We're asking them to give us the building for free. Wow. We're not trying to buy them the building. from Because if we said we would buy it, they would be so happy to sell it to us. But we don't have the money to buy it and then renovate it. And so we said, if, you, if you're really serious about wanting a community center in the city, we'll take care of the renovations, but you've got to gift us the building. Now, that might look like maybe like a, like a 75 to 100-year lease for like a dollar, like a nominal fee, but we're asking. And so far, I'm not overly confident. I've got to say this just with the reality is we've had positive responses so far. But eventually, we need to go to vote with the city council, and we need three of the five votes to make this thing happen. That's the technicality of this. And so we're just continuing to do our due diligence and all that kind of stuff. Architects are coming in next week to take a, take a look at the space and they're going to start designing and what it's going to look like and things like that next week. And so we're getting in that place where we're starting to get ready. But guys, you have no idea how much anxiety I have about this building. You have no idea how I'm stressing about it. And you know what I'm stressing about the most? What happens if we don't get it? God, what happens if we don't get it? 
like we don't have a plan B. People are going to think I, I can't he- we can't hear from God. God, it's going to make you look bad, right? Like if you don't give us this building, because we've told people this is what's going to happen. And guys, I, I, if I'm going to be honest, I've lost quite a bit of sleep this year. I get up in the middle of the night and I can't go back to sleep because I'm thinking about this stuff. And man, I had such a feeling of the Holy Spirit this week. Thursday, I was with my mentor, Pete Scazzaro. He's a former pastor, but he's an author. Wrote a book that changed my life, Emotional and Spirituality. Um, I, I think this guy can make a lot of money if he just said, you want to come to my home and I'll lead a devotional. His devotions are outrageous. I've never had a devotion as good as his, all right? And, um, and so he gets together with a, a small group of pastors, about four of us this week. Uh, we got together, him and his wife, and they kind of pour into us. But his devotion was outrageous. We looked at John chapter 6 and John chapter 7. It was not Jesus' finest days in, mich- in ministry. It said in John chapter 6 towards the end, it says that the majority of Jesus' disciples left him. And the only that were remaining were 12. And... Uh, and uh, could you imagine the disciples? Like, they just saw all the disciples leave Jesus, and they're like, oh, gosh. Should we leave too? Like, why is everyone leaving? Like, could you just imagine the peer pressure? And Jesus says to them, um, are you going to leave too? Like, are you going to leave us? And they're in Galilee, and Jesus' own brothers, they, they look at him, they look at him like, oh, my gosh, everyone left you. He'd say, why don't you go to Jerusalem, Jesus, and go show them what you're made of. Show them your supernatural powers. Get more disciples. You ain't getting any in Galilee, right? Galilee is not even like a nice place to be. Go to the main place and grow your ministry. Do it. What does Jesus say? He says, no, 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 no. It's not my time. It's not my time. My father will tell me when to do this. I believe in my father. You know, and then he said this one word that changed me. It was one of those conversion experiences. He says belief or believe in, 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 in the Greek literally means trust, right? But in John, in the gospel of John, when you look at Jesus, when he said the word believe and when he lives it out, you know what word is synonymous to believe? Relax. Relax because God is in charge. I was blown away. I was almost in tears. I couldn't handle it, it was too much for me. Because for the past year, year and a half, the thing I have not done well was relax. Relax because God is in charge. I've been the opposite of that. I've been anxious. I've been struggling to live in the truth of where I feel like God is leading us and it's been so hard and I've been worrying about it and worrying about it and it just delivered me that day. I said, I'm just going to relax. Amen. I'm going to relax because I know God is in charge. Amen. I think so many of you in this room today, you need to learn to relax because God's in charge of your life. Amen. I know you might have pressing things in your life that's going to happen. I know you need God to come through with some things. But can we learn to relax and just know that God's in charge? And as a result of it, What we're called to do then is to just allow the Holy Spirit to come and fill us so that our passion for him will continue to grow. That's what God is calling all of us to do as a community, that we would learn to relax in him, to trust in our Father, to know that he is in charge. And because he is, 
that we're just going to continue to depend upon him and ask the Holy Spirit to fill us. Paul and Silas were dying in jail. They were beaten. Their lives were, th- they were, they were being threatened every day. People wanted to kill them. But they trusted in their father. They relaxed, even if it meant death. Because at the end of the day, they know that God is in charge. My hope and prayer for you today is that you would know that God is in charge of your life. And because of that, you can learn to relax. Receive the Holy Spirit today. Live in the truth of what you believe. Grow in this ravenous hunger for God and satisfy it by hearing from him through his word. May you be able to be passionate for him so that the whole world will know that Jesus Christ is our God. Let's bow our heads for a moment of prayer. So I'm going to ask you today, and then I'm going to encourage you guys to come forward too for prayer. There's best ways for you to be filled with the Holy Spirit. But I'm going to ask you to be filled with the Holy Spirit, to pray the Holy Spirit would fill you right now. I want to give you a moment to do that. And as you pray that prayer, could you just also pray that God would help you to relax? so that you would be able to live your life knowing that he's in charge of it. You don't have to be anxious. You don't have to be overwhelmed. You can just relax. I'm just gonna give you a moment to do that and then I'm gonna close this in prayer. Jeremiah 29, 11 says, For I know the plans I have for you, declares Yahweh. Plans to prosper you, not to harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. Lord, thank you that you're so passionate about us. And God, I pray that you would help us to be passionate for you. I pray that my brothers and sisters, as they open up the Bible this week, Holy Spirit, speak, speak. Speak audibly to them. May they hear from you. And may their lives be transformed, knowing that there's a God who wants to speak to them. I pray, God, that as they pray, even today, and as maybe if some of them come up to receive and to be filled with the Holy Spirit, God, that you would come and fill them, Holy Spirit the crown of their heads to the thorns of their feet. Would you bless them and guide us, Lord, so that we can learn to relax because we know that you're in charge of our lives, that we can learn to relax because we know that you're in charge of this church. So God, I pray that Metro Community Church would be a community, God, where you would fill us with the Holy Spirit every day, 
And God, that we would know, God, that in order for us to survive, in order for us to move forward, God, in order for us to continue to be a church that is doing something here in Englewood and beyond, God, we can't do it apart from you, apart from the Holy Spirit. So just be with us. And I pray for those in this room, God, that are hurting, that need a filling of your spirit. God, I pray that you would heal them. I pray that you would heal them and heal those wounds, God, so that they'd stop hurting the people they love the most. I pray for those in this room, God, that need a healing physically because they're going through so much. I pray for your healing presence upon their lives today, that your spirit would fill them and that you would bring healing into their lives today. So God, we look to you. Come and speak to us. Come and minister. Come and fill us. In your name we pray. Amen. Some next steps that I'd love for you to take. And just flip over your communication card for just a little bit. First, if you've never committed your life to Jesus, just check that off. We're going to get back to you. Go out to the next table. We love to give you a free gift and also pray with you as well. Second, I would like more information about the New Testament for novices class. Pastor David Hosang is going to be teaching a class on the New Testament. I can't think of a better class for you to be a part of to learn more about how can you grow and allow God to speak to you through the scripture. If you're interested, check that off and we'll make sure you're on the list and it'll get you more information about when the class starts. It'll start in the summer sometime in July. Third, I would like to volunteer for Justice Advocacy and Compassion Ministry during daytime hours. If you have some time during the day, especially if you're maybe in college and you're here for the summer, if you have some daytime hours that you can serve, we'd love for you to check that off. There's some great opportunities for you to do that, all right? So please do. And I think Sunita is going to have a meeting in the uh, gym for anyone who is an Englewood resident, all right? Uh, fourth, please sign me up for the Setup or Breakdown Ministry. Uh, the Setup Ministry gets here at 7 o'clock on, on Sundays twice a month. Uh, a couple of our folks are in transition uh, with life and different things, and they've had to step down, and so we're actually in need of some more people to step up. Would you be a part of building God's kingdom literally with your hands here on Sundays at 7 o'clock? Or if you would like at 1 o'clock after the uh, service is over, you'd be a part of breaking down and preserving, I call it the preservation of God's kingdom, breaking down the church. If you're interested, we really would love it if you can help out and serve in that area. Just check that off. Um, I will pray about how I can be part of the Beyond the Building campaign next Sunday. So next Sunday, we're all going to get a, a card like this, a commitment card. And if you've, if you've done it before, we just ask that you would, you would just fill out the thing that you did last year and put the exact same amount. That's fine. Uh, but if the amount needs to change based upon maybe God blessed you more this year and you can give more, maybe you're struggling, maybe that needs to change, feel free to do that. But if you were not here last year for this, you're going to get an opportunity to do it. And so I want you to take this um, pamphlet with you, this campaign booklet, and just read and pray through it and ask God how he would want you to get involved. And next week, we're gonna, everyone's going to have these cards and we're going to fill this out together as a church. It's your opportunity to be a part of it. But if God doesn't move your heart after doing, reading this and praying, then don't give. It's okay. I'm going to relax. It's going to be fine. All right? It's going to be fine. So don't worry about it. Just, we're not going to force you to do anything you want to do, but we want to give you an opportunity to be a part of something that we feel God's leading us as a church. All right? And so make sure uh, you do that. If you're not going to be here next Sunday, because maybe you're going away, you're out of town, there's a, there's a bunch of commitment cards. Take one with you. Take the, the booklet with you and just pray. And then you can just mail this into our office or just bring it the following week and place in the offering basket. Okay? So we're only going to do it next Sunday. Pastor Kevin will be here. We'll kind of do this together uh, next Sunday. All right? Uh, and then last, I'm interested in attending Camp Metro with Cat Pastor Kevin Butcher. We'd love to invite you to come. End of, July, end of June is going to be fantastic. So if you're interested, check that off. We'll get back to you with more information.